up everything. While the Blues are shooting at the standings, for one thing, a week that saw three wins, including two against teams that had won a combined 18 games in a row before facing the Blues, ultimately landed the Blues in the first wildcard spot today, ahead of a matchup with their potential first-round opponents, the Vegas Golden Knights. What does all this mean for the Blues? We'll discuss it with our friend and guest host, Justin Horniker. The Blues are on a killing spree that would make Doc Holliday blush, and we're excited to discuss it. So let's get started, and Let's go blues. This is Stephen Ground of the Two Guys No Cup podcast. I'm coming to you live from our luxurious studios in that medical facility where they fused Wolverine's bones with adamantium. Uh, This is uh, the Two Guys No Cup podcast, as I mentioned. It is Friday, March 30th, and uh, we have a special guest host today. As many of you know, uh, Ian, our usual and wonderful and dearly missed uh, my co-host is in Asia right now, somewhere either in Korea or Japan. I'm communicating with him, but I've forgotten to ask which he's in currently, uh, and he's touring over there with some of his friends Um And so we are without a co-host this week and next, but we have very capable uh, stand-ins to take his place uh, during that time. And this week, we will be joined by Justin Horniker, who is a friend of ours uh, that we've met over Twitter and gotten to know a little bit over the past few months since we started on there. Uh, He's a running coach, and uh, he hosts the podcast, uh, Running Through It podcast on iTunes, which he'll mention uh, and we'll discuss on the recording itself. Um, but you can find him on Twitter, give his podcast a follow if you're into running. That'd be great for him. Uh, we were just excited to have him on because we uh, enjoy talking to him on Twitter and got an opportunity to get to know him a little better and discuss the blues with him, which is great. Uh, so we will get to that in just a second. I did want to mention that we recorded with Justin over Skype since he is uh, in KC at the moment, and so if the sound quality is a little different from our normal episodes, that is probably why, uh, and I apologize for that, but I think it's worth it um, to have Justin on there. He's, he was a lot of fun to co-host with. So without further ado, we will get to the podcast with Justin. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Two Guys No Cup podcast with a very special guest host in uh, our friend Justin Horniker. Am I pronouncing that correctly, by the way? Yeah, you're good. Which Two I... different guys. Two different guys, still no cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you also have not won a Stanley Cup, so I we're good. Um, Justin has been uh, following us on Twitter and interacting with us pretty much as long as we've been on there, it feels like, and uh, volunteered to be a guest host this week, and it felt like a good fit, so... We did it, and we're doing it right now on a Friday morning. How are you, we how are are you doing, doing this morning? Doing pretty good. Well, I have a little bit of podcasting experience. So Yeah, yeah. why you don't know. you tell us about that? Yeah, so I do my own podcast. I'm a running coach as my day job, I would guess. Um, so I talk about running and 
things in the sports world from like that lens of a running coach slash strength coach mm-hmm. and not like this lens of a wannabe sports reporter slash diehard homer. <laughs> <laughs> We're all wannabe sports reporters, right? I right. Mean, that's what <laughs> podcasts are great for. Uh, and you, that podcast is called Running Through It, right? Is that Running correct? Through It, yeah. And you can, I know it. you can find it on Twitter or on iTunes. Is there on all of your favorite IT or favorite podcast devices? Yeah, I think I have it everywhere. Uh, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever yeah. you listen. Running is is not my world. It, it is Ian's way more than <laughs> me. So, but I listened to a few minutes of it the other day, and it sounded great. Cool. Thanks um, for listening. Yeah, absolutely. And you all should listen as well and follow you on Twitter at Hornicker Justin. Justin at Hornicker Justin. Yeah, that's R I O R N E K E R H O R N E K R. Yep. Sweet. I I'm on the ball this morning. Yeah, uh, and we'll <laughs> let it be known that I am number one fan. And ooh, the gauntlet <laughs> is laid down out there. You are the first fan converted to co-host, so that's a so, hard. Yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard mountain to climb. Right. I don't know if it can be topped. That's true. Uh, how? <laughs> just as a vanity question, how did you find us originally and become the number one fan that you now so clearly are? I mean, I don't even really know. I was looking for like police podcasts to listen to, <laughs> and then somehow I came upon your guys. I probably found you on Twitter. That's probably the first place I found it. Yeah. And then that's awesome because I know in those early days we were kind of sparse, sparsely <laughs> represented. So that's cool. Uh, and then I guess, so you live in KC now. I live in KC. I lived in St. Louis for the first 24 years of my life. So, okay. And so you just became a Blues fan and the natural way. Yeah. The way God intended. uh, Yeah. A family of Blues fans and disappointment. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think it's funny because like when I was growing up, my dad was probably has enthusiasm for the blues that I have now. And that's kind of waned over the years because I think they kind of like beat down on you as you get older. You just expect. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah. So I assume as we get older. Yeah. So. Who knows? It's, it's tough world. Although right now it's not too tough. That's the value. No, right now it's it. good. Ask me a month ago and I would have agreed. But. Oh God. It's, <laughs> this season has been one of the strangest. It's weird how, you know, you start podcasting and you never know what the year is going to hold. And then this was the year we decided to start. And it's been the weirdest year I can remember. It's Yeah, it's just strange. It's when we finally admitted that we weren't a good team is when they decided that. And maybe we are. So Yeah, I was finally just like, <laughs> no chance at the playoffs. We're done. And yeah, exactly. So... Uh, the Blues are now so gonna not do this. So out we're of gonna the do... Say that again. No, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> the Blues are finally uh, not out of the playoff race, as it looks right now. They are, in fact, in the first wild card position, believe it or not, ahead of the Anaheim Ducks. And we thought we'd start today by giving a brief standings update. Uh, the Eastern Conference looks like only the Capitals have clinched a playoff spot in the Metro Division, which means they could the East could still rally and kick the Penguins out of the playoff, which is my oh sincere God. hope. Um, but probably not likely. They have 94 points. And uh, Sidney Crosby is scoring just ridiculous goals on a nightly oh basis. Oh, my gosh. Did you <laughs> see the one he flipped up into the air to himself and then backhanded in? And then he was, like, surprised afterwards that he scored it. Yeah, how could you not be, right? Um, and then uh, Pittsburgh and Columbus are both 
in in the Metro Division right now. Uh, and Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto have all quenched. Boston actually is uh, second in the President's Trophy standings right now, which is crazy, uh, considering they had kind of a bumpy start to their year. And uh, then Philadelphia and New Jersey are the two wild card teams there, with only Florida really having a chance of catching any of them. Uh, they're three points behind New Jersey. And then in the West, Nashville and Winnipeg have quenched, despite uh, Winnipeg's best efforts to embarrass themselves last night, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. <clears throat> and the Minnesota holds the third spot in the Central. Uh, Vegas alone has quenched in the Pacific, with San Jose and uh, Los Angeles also holding spots there. And then, of course, the Blues are in the first wild card spot, which would be nice. It would put them up against uh, Vegas instead of Nashville in the first round, which is kind of a pick your poison situation. But I guess I'd pick that one. And uh, Anaheim is the final team with Colorado uh, and sort of Dallas still fighting for spots, but really mostly Colorado. So. That's where we stand as of Friday the 30th, the morning of Friday the 30th. Does anything pop out from that, Justin, that you wanted to talk about or highlight? I think, yeah, with where we are, this is kind of where we want to be. Because if you look at finishing third, like Minnesota keeps coming back to us, then you have to go through both Winnipeg and Nashville, potentially, Mm -hmm. in that series. And those are, I don't know, Winnipeg just really scares me right now, so... Yeah, I was, in our position, I like our chances against Vegas more than anything. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine um, who was just really excited about what the Blues were doing, and he was saying, uh, "You know, we need to f- play be- Vegas so that Nashville and uh, Winnipeg can take each other out, so that we only have to play one of them." And I was just like, "You mean in this imaginary world where we make the conference finals now?" <laughs> right. You want right. us to? Well. T- <laughs> so he was a little more optimistic than I am yet. But if they keep playing like this, they always say you just have to get hot at the right time, right? Yeah, and the way I look at it is we're kind of owed some sort of come from behind victory with all of our times that we've gone in as the best team and been knocked out early. So <laughs> that's very true. I've always said, at least with Ian, that the only way the Blues will ever win a cup is some team that comes out of nowhere that you have no idea. That squeaked into the playoffs. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So maybe this is the year. Uh, The less, the least expected thing that ever happened in a hockey game probably happened last night as well, uh, which is the, I guess, debut, the NHL debut of Scott Foster. If you can put it that way, Scott Foster was the, Uh, emergency backup goalie in the game between Winnipeg and Chicago. Uh, And as I understand it, he he could have gone in for either team if all of their goalies (laughs) had gotten hurt. And as it turned out, uh, Chicago's goalies did get hurt. And Scott Foster, who was a 36-year-old who played his last competitive hockey game on October 15, 2005 for Western Michigan University in front of like 2,500 people, uh, stepped into net for the Chicago Blackhawks and uh, became kind of the darling of the internet, the darling of the NHL Twitterverse for you know 24 hours. And he actually blocked seven shots in 14 minutes and held on to the lead uh, that the 
Blackhawks had established six to two over the Winnipeg Jets. So what a cool story, I guess. I mean, unbelievable and strange. I like the video of Joel Quinville kind of like smirking to himself as this guy <laughs> walks out of the tunnel. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it just kind of highlights Chicago's goaltending situation this year. Where like oh. without Crawford, there's just no hope. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think Carl Crawford gets a, not Carl Crawford. I always do that. Corey Crawford, Carl Crawford was a very good outfielder, but probably not a good hockey. Probably goaltender. not as good. <laughs> um, Corey Crawford, I don't think gets enough credit for how important he's been to that team during their runs. Um, but yeah, it's been, uh, this is, it's a cool story, but it is kind of like the, the low point for the Blackhawks so far this season. And I can't say I'm really upset. I'm not upset. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's, yeah, there's just nothing to be sad about. I hope, I mean, I never hope for someone to be injured, so I hope their goalies are fine, but you know, where they are in the standings, maybe just give Scott Foster a run between the pipes. Just put him in, see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Thirty-six-year-old young upstart the, getting his chance. The worst thing that can happen is they climb up in the uh, um, draft lottery, right? So yeah, no problem for them. It's a win-win, and it's a win-win for hockey. So do it. That's that's our decision. Just do it. <laughs> uh, I guess we can move on to some Blues news, which involves Carl Gunnarsson just doing it and tearing his ACL. Uh, <laughs> this is unfortunate timing for Carl Gunnarsson, who I think have been having like a quietly pretty good season for the Blues. Um, at least it's not a compound fracture, I guess. Uh, yeah. That probably worse to heal from but doesn't sound as horrifying as a compound fracture uh he got tangled up in the game with vancouver with Bo horvat uh, and sort of twisted his knee against the boards uh it was pretty clear as soon as he walked off that it wasn't going to be or limped off on his stick that he wasn't going to be a good situation Uh, and it came out pretty quickly that he tore the acl on his left knee and would be receiving surgery uh, so um, he's obviously out for the remainder of the season. I think he has one year left on his deal at uh, around $2.9 million, somewhere in there. Uh, but he'd sort of stepped up after the Bowmeister injury and had started playing about 17 minutes a game uh, with Petrangelo and had been a plus five since Bowmeister went down. So the Blues keep sort of hemorrhaging defensemen, which thankfully is an area they've got a lot of depth, but the depth is very young and inexperienced. Uh, Jordan Schmaltz will probably take most of the load, has taken most of the load so far. Uh, but what do you think about this injury and what it means for the Blues, especially because it'll be fun to get your take on it because I know Carl Gunnarsson is the butt of a lot of jokes with Blues fans. So Carl Boom Boom Gunnarsson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. he kind of sucks because he's just starting to play pretty good. I thought like the past 10 games or so he'd been – very good um as far as like noticeably making plays and not being a hole defensively yeah Uh, and you kind of like watch that play and it doesn't even look like it's anything really but just landed awkwardly and then done done for the season yeah it is strange and i'm sure you would be more of an expert on this than me though how how i don't know fragile is the right word but how like 
the ACL can tear in like the most innocent looking of situations, you know, you can just plant and try and turn the wrong way and it can just be gone that fast. Yeah. And I think, well, talking on skates too, you don't have a lot of mobility there. So there's, I'm sure it's a, at least in part a degenerative thing where it takes damage over time. And yeah, it's not like, you know, this one moment tore a totally healthy ACL, but still it is interesting to see, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I I kind of agree with you. He'd been kind of coming into form. I think Blues fans, I mean, probably hockey fans everywhere. I'm just not, you know, part of any other fan base, so I I don't want to condemn them. But I I do think uh, we as a whole, as a collective, myself included, have sort of a like a weird relationship with defensive defensemen. And the thing is, a guy like Carl Gunnarsson, Barrett Jackman was another great example. You were typically only hearing their name if they were screwing up. You know, you were only noticing them if they were making mistakes because defensive defensemen don't show up on the score sheet a lot uh, unless it's Barrett Jackman in overtime in the playoffs. (laughs) Um, So... With Gunnarsson, I think, you know, he, he gets a lot of heat. And some of it's deserved, but... I think he was a you know an experienced guy you can put pretty much anywhere on the blue line any of the three pairings and sort of just have some certainty there even if there's not a lot of upside so it's a tough loss for the Blues um, but you know they have Schmaltz I'm excited to see Schmaltz get an opportunity finally and hopefully he will maybe blossom a little bit uh, yeah. Into an NHL defenseman who the Blues can either then use or trade if the opportunity presents itself, uh, which I'm sure it will at some point, whether to decide to do it or not. Yeah, you would think with how stacked the prospect pool is that that makes it a little bit easier to get a deal done with somebody like Schmaltz. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a place for defensive defensemen but if you're not putting up offensive numbers obviously that's like the first thing we see with today's game and then i was definitely not the biggest jackman supporter so you kind of like have that stigma of you're only hearing them when they do bad things yeah exactly. so it's like top of your mind but we still need those players who can just eat up time on the ice and not be a liability mm-hmm. which i don't think gunnerson is yeah usually he's not i mean everybody's gonna make mistakes you know but for the most part, he's steady. Um, we're actually There's not gonna, a Chris Butler out there or anything. So. No, no, that is <laughs> that is certainly true, and hopefully we won't be seeing much of Chris oh, Butler. That was my like biggest fear. Is like, oh, here we go. Yeah, Butler sits down. Chris Butler called incoming. It's a strange. <laughs> like, I'm glad I'm glad for him that he gets to keep a job for years on end with his hometown team and just sort of be there when he's needed. But it is kind of odd that like that position exists, much like the emergency backup. It's weird that, like, the eighth defenseman who plays four games a year is, like, an NHL position that exists for every team. But yeah, Chris Butler is ours. so Just that guy that you know you're in a bad position if you have to call him up. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Uh, Jake Allen is going to be a big story for us as we talk about the games. But uh, he was named second star this week by the NHL behind a... A fellow named Connor McDavid, which I guess is pretty good company to be in. Pretty good. Um, <laughs> he went three zero and zero. I think this was uh, probably the week that ended. Yeah, it, it didn't count the uh, San Jose game, so it ended with Columbus. He went three zero and zero with one point zero 
uh, goals against average and a 961 save percentage, which again is pretty acceptable. Um, And he moved us into a playoff position. Uh, He had 21 saves against the Bruins, 19 against the Canucks, and 33 against the Blue Jackets. Um, And he'd won five in a row uh, beyond that week. So, uh, yeah, Allen has seen a a significant turnaround, which I'm sure we'll talk about more as we go through the games. But it's just kind of... As this team, as Jake Allen goes, this team goes a little bit, right? I mean, that's true with any goaltender, as you said about Corey Crawford, not Carl Crawford. Uh, But (laughs) him too, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm. I'm sure that teams struggle without him in his prime too. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's no surprise, I guess, that the team's going to be better when the goalie's better. That seems pretty obvious. But at the same time. I don't know if I expected this kind of a turnaround from Allen. And I I guess at this point, I you can speak for yourself, but I'm just sort of in a position of waiting for the other shoe to drop with Allen. And I don't think I'll ever not be in that position again, given that we've had two years in a row of this. I think it's, uh, I forget who, I'm trying to search for somebody, the, whoever treats out like St. Louis Blues history, tweet out, like a graph basically of Allen's like perennial stats. So like month by month uh-huh. and his March stats are like best goalie in hockey each <laughs> March. And every, there's like a dip every December and January where he is just trash. And then February kind of rebounds. And then March he has like six losses. Yeah. So I think it's just, if Jake Allen's going to be your goalie, you have to have a competent backup that in December and January and February is going to be able to take a good amount of the minutes. Yeah. If this is the Jake Allen that we're always going to have. Yeah. And then my, my question to follow that up would be at what point, um, obviously baseball opening day was this week was yesterday. And just to use a baseball analogy, uh, there was a game yesterday where a starting pitcher, Aaron Nola of the Phillies was dominating through like six innings and had only thrown like 60 pitches and they pulled him out um, and ultimately lost because of it. But the manager was just sort of saying, look, the numbers told us that he was going to struggle against this hitter and that we had a reliever that wasn't going to struggle against this hitter and that this was the right time to do it. And I say all that to say I wonder at what point the hockey sort of catches up and says, hey, if Jake Allen sucks every January, why don't we just – not given the net as much in January, you know, I think you can look at that like contract wise too. If you know that Allen's not going to be a competent goalie for like three months of the season, you could get away with giving him less money and then giving more money to a backup to where almost like both of your goalies salary wise equal one good goalie. Yeah. Yeah. That'd (laughs) be nice. Um, yeah, unfortunately we're committed to the contract we have and it's not, I mean, if he's, five months out of the year plus the playoffs is good then it's not like a terrible contract but it's just I don't know what you're going to do with him I I'm certain that if I'm pretty confident that if uh Doug Armstrong feels like he can unload Jake Allen at a reasonable price this offseason he'll do it uh if he can find a replacement and I know like I think uh what's his name down in um Arizona is an option whose name I'm totally blanking on. Uh, 
and some other free agent options, and I'm sure there are guys on uh, trade. But, yeah, with that said, even if you can't unload him, that you just have to start responding to this trend better and preparing yourself for it better, right? And that may mean bringing back Carter Hutton. It may mean, you know, signing somebody else who's an established guy to be his backup who can play long stretches at a time. But you can't let this happen again, you know? And I don't know if we can keep getting lucky on, like, the signing Brian Elliott's and Carter Hutton's, like these career backups that, given the opportunity, are going to put up, like, best in the NHL numbers. You feel like you're not going to have that signing all the time. Eventually that's going to miss, right? Yeah, I mean, you're (laughs) totally right. You're going to sign a James Reimer or somebody, and he's just not going to be – like, even if he's okay, he's just not going to be starter quality. And then you're kind of out of luck, you know? Yeah. But I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Carter Hutton is back healthy, uh, which we'll talk about. So it's good to have him back in the fold. And I think uh, I think Scotty Upshaw's ready too, which we'll talk about later. But I was kind of surprised because I think at the time they said four weeks, and I remember kind of scoffing at like, well, the season will be over in four weeks. And at the time it was like there's not a chance at the playoffs, so he'll just be gone. Uh, but maybe he won't be. So I believe he was ready last game, but Yo didn't put him in. So yeah. I think he's ready to play, and they say he's going to play tonight. Give him the old stinky leather mitt and keep him on the bench, as they say. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if Upshaw's back tonight, that'll provide a different feel and a little more experience for the team, which is great. Um, Blues signed a bunch of prospects this week, uh, college prospects whose season is winding to a close or has ended I think the two the two kind of big names are Nolan Stevens and Eric Foley, who uh, Foley is the guy we got in the trade uh, that sent Stastny to the Jets. Uh, but Nolan Stevens is one I'm really intrigued by. He was a fifth-round pick in 2016, um, and he's the son of Kings head coach John Stevens. Uh, but he finished his fourth season this year at Northeastern University as the captain and had 24 goals and 42 points in 38 games. Uh, he's a 6'2", 185-pound center. Um, and I just get the feeling with Stevens, he's the kind of guy who's probably doesn't have that top end, you know, first or maybe even second line potential, but I get the feeling he could just be a really responsible, hardworking, like right attitude guy to play your third line role, which is a really valuable role, right? I mean, you aren't going to win Stanley Cups without a hardworking two-way defenseman or two-way forwards, you know, in the third line. I think they're saying, like, he has a good net front presence too, which is something that we don't necessarily have right now. Yeah. That's that's just a bonus, absolutely. And I think, I mean, as we were kind of alluding to earlier, with all of these guys, I'm glad just to have them signed so that we, you know, can make full use of the deep prospect pool we have, however we decide to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, because I was thinking about that the other day with, like, the depth of prospects we have. Like, surely, you know, the point of having prospects is so you can turn one of those into a trade for an established NHL player. So you think you'd, I don't know. I think there's going to be some big shakeups this off season with everybody we have signed and the hype around them and yeah. the potential free agent market. 
I think you're right. I always work myself up into a lather and then get disappointed, but I do think <laughs> you're right this year. Um, uh, Nolan Stevens and Mitch Reinke. Reinke was uh, an undrafted free agent who played at Michigan Tech. Um, they came to St. Louis uh, Wednesday, last I think last Wednesday, for an optional practice. Um and uh, they have the opportunity to potentially play for the team this year. Uh, Mike Yo said it's going to be a great experience for those guys. We'll see if opportunity presents itself for them to get into games. I'm not sure. I think that the first step is for us to get them into practice to see if we can get them up to speed, obviously, with the NHL game, NHL players, the NHL pace, uh, but also get them up to speed with our game and with our system. Uh, heard really good things and am excited to get them here. Uh, but I did notice the, int- the very interesting thing is that the Blues had put Nolan Stevens on their playoff reserve roster, which I think is how they got uh, Sabotka on the playoff, put, made him playoff eligible last year before they signed him back. So of these names, Stevens, I think, is the one that they maybe had the highest hopes for getting into the lineup quickly Mm. because he can I mean he is eligible to play in the playoffs and if he did that that would just bring an exciting mix I think as you some new energy yeah exactly and Sabotka last year I want to say was in what the last game or yeah like the last like four games before yeah Uh, signed him (laughs) so it was not it was not a lot of like prepare preparation time to get him going for the playoffs and while we we may not collectively be as big as fans right now. He was pretty good last playoffs, so it is possible. Um, John Stevens, as I said, uh, Nolan's dad is the head coach of the Kings. He was talking about uh, entering the NHL, and he said his mind was made up. Keith Kachuk developed a relationship with him and Tim Taylor, their player development guy, developed a good relationship with him. So, so as long as they had interest, I don't think he had any idea of going anywhere else just because of the commitment they made to him as a player. He was excited that they wanted to sign him. It's kind of a sad day when your college career comes to an end, but really exciting opportunity for him to move on and play at the next level. So uh, cool lineage for Stevens. A lot of people in his family have been in the NHL. Uh, Reinke, as I mentioned, he's 22. He's a little older. He's 5'11", 182 pounds. Right-hand shot defenseman who had 25 points in 35 games this year. Um and then they also signed a guy named Austin Pagansky, who I do not know much about, uh, but he is 22 years old, was a fourth-round pick in 2014, and played with North Dakota as their captain, uh, which is important because I think he led them to the NCAA championship last year, uh, put up 84 points in 162 games. He's 6'2", 210, so sizable. Big frame. Um, yeah, exactly. And he's signed to a two-year deal beginning next year, but will report to AHL San Antonio for an amateur tryout. And then finally, Eric Foley, as I mentioned, uh, also signed, I think, yesterday. Um, he had 35 points in 38 games with Providence, and I think it's expected that he'll go to the AHL um, as well. But again, the Blues just, like we've said, continue to build this pool of prospects Uh there's too many of them to put them all on it. Our NHL roster, mm-hmm. uh, so you would expect, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of these guys and a lot of uh, the bigger name prospects are either 
real close to NHL ready or not far from it. So, um, yeah, like you said, it could be a very interesting offseason seeing where these guys fall within our organization or others. Um, yeah, I know Steven's saying he's like a point-and-a-half player in college, which yeah. obviously doesn't translate to NHL, but that's yeah. still pretty good numbers-wise. Absolutely, um, and it's cool to me. I mean, maybe it's meaningless, but it's cool to see that two of those guys were captains of their yeah. college teams. I just think it speaks well of their leadership. Um, Martin Brodeur, Martin Brodeur, excuse me, was uh, named the co-GM of the IIHF uh, Men's World Championship Team Canada uh, for this summer, which is a cool gig for him. Um, Pierre Lebrun said, we could potentially be looking at our next Steve Iserman in Brodeur, a former superstar player taking over the Olympic team perhaps one day en route to becoming an NHL GM. Uh, there's a cool piece up, I, I assume since LeBrun wrote it, it's at The Athletic uh, that I read through um, that just talks about how maybe this is the first step for Brodeur becoming a GM in the NHL like Iserman and Gretzky did before him. Uh, not not a surprise, I don't think, given that he's been our assistant GM for a couple of years now that he may have aspirations to do that in the long run, but it is kind of cool. Um so I just wanted to direct people there if they want more information. Did you have anything to add about Mr. No, I, think I think it's very interesting. It seems like that they're definitely grooming him as like this next big like GM prospect, if you want to use that word. But yeah. so it's interesting. <laughs> it works. Yeah, because I don't know how soon, you know, I don't know how soon he plans on being ready for that. And if it falls in like Armstrong's window of being here or not. Because I'd hate to see him go. He seems like he has a good mind for hockey, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It is strange. I mean, I'm I'm still not really adjusted to him being our GM and not New Jersey's, you know? You would just assume. Um, He's still in Enterprise commercials with New Jersey gear on. And, right. and, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, which is uh, funny you mentioned that because I wanted to start – talking about this by saying life takes me marty brodeur a lot of places but i forgot so that's my own failure but you brought it up so good save yeah i'm uh, glad i could bring that full circle for uh, exactly <laughs> uh but yeah i mean i think uh, i don't think uh new jersey's gm right now is going anywhere uh, i think jim botterill maybe is their gm i i know a lot of the gm's names i just forget who is where uh but <laughs> Um, yeah, the, and that's a team like without Taylor Hall, they're kind of not great. So you know, right in a win very winnable division. So you think a GM change could be very easy to do there? Yeah, but um, Ray Shiro, that's his name. So not Jim Butterell. Ah, yes. uh, but he, you know, he orchestrated that trade that brought Taylor Hall there, and he drafted Nico Heischer. So he maybe has a, and this season kind of came out of nowhere. So he maybe has a little longer leash. It'll just be interesting. Uh, but you do imagine if they fire their GM at some point, they will probably be giving uh, Marty a call would be my best guess. And I guess we'd see where it went from there. But good for him to be uh, part of the uh, junior or world, not junior, world championship team this summer. Um, and I guess we'll see how it goes for him. Yeah, I think that was part of the deal that like got him here as he was promised by Armstrong that he'd have a spot. So I don't know if that's like part of their agreement too, is that he'd be groomed for because obviously Armstrong is like big in Hockey Canada. That's yeah, 
good call. Part of that deal. And, and he's definitely uh, already giving Marty pointers, according to Marty himself in this article. And um, he has Doug has a long quote in the article about how uh, Marty's been kind of a student of the game, which is a weird way to describe it to me because he's yeah, like the you're, you're Hall of Fame <laughs> yeah. greatest goaltender in the history yeah. of NHL. He's a good student of the game. That seems like more <laughs> a, more of a Lee Stempniak designation to me, but what do I know? Um, so yeah, so Seattle captain Lee Stempniak. <laughs> well, here's hoping you've got it. You got to get on the bandwagon, everybody. Um, we've got uh, one more thing to talk about before we talk about the blues, which is the woos in the crowd. And look at that. I made a rhyme. Um, blues fans have started wooing like Ric Flair uh, after goals and after per- uh, commercial breaks and just whatever they feel like. 15 it. minutes of the game. And- yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of rules or regulations for how often you woo, which I guess is is in the spirit of Ric Flair, not And I think, you rules. know, the fact that it was started by the uh, drunk South City Hoosiers in Section 335, that <laughs> probably the rules are a little bit laxed up there. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you feel about this phenomenon? It's it's three and oh, uh, yeah. that's that's the bright side of it. We haven't lost since we started doing it. I think it makes things more fun. Yeah. And I was saying, like, sometimes Scott Trade, I think there's almost, like, so much pent-up anxiety about what's going on that it can get <laughs> kind of not, you know, it can get kind of quiet in there because everyone's just, like, watching the game. Yeah. Um, so, like, anything that kind of livens it up is good with me. That's a good point. That's a, a valuable addition. I feel like it's fine. I think the players enjoy it. Uh, somebody asked... Um, Mike Yo, if he ever wooed on the bench after a goal, and he said, "Yeah, no, I let everybody else do that. Uh, I do it when I get back to my office after an overtime win." Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just that it's good to have the crowd have energy. Um, I listen. I'm I'm a big fan, as I've mentioned briefly, of of Liverpool, uh, the soccer team, and I listen to one of one of their fan podcasts, which are much bigger deals in Britain <laughs> than they are over here. Um, I think this is actually just a radio show that they record as a podcast. But any anyway, they talk about the crowds over in England like they're an organism that's like a part of the team, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where they just talk about like literally the crowd has to do its job, that sort of language, um, to get this team over the edge, uh, which is very strange, I think, from an American viewpoint where you're like, no, the crowd is there to, like, enjoy the game and, like, boo or fair, yeah. cheer. Yeah, like, you're there, the players are supposed to entertain you, the players aren't entertaining yeah. you, and they're not doing their job. Exactly. But, uh, in England, it's almost like you go for the experience of being in the crowd. and Yeah. And, I mean, occasionally people talk about, like, the 12th man or whatever, but usually it's it's more, like, you know, theoretical and not like, oh, you have to do this, you know. So, but I do think, I mean, I think the fans are, the, the Blues are going to play better when the fans are into it. And they have had a weird, like, home record in the last two seasons now. Um so anything that gets it a little exci- more excited in there, I would say, is for the better. Um, I do think uh, the one thing I would say is I would love us to be a, a little more original. I know other fans have wooed and uh, 
with the use of Seven Nation Army as the goal song sometimes now, I'm thinking, uh, could you pick a less original pump-up song? Uh, but that's not my place, and I'm not going to be the spoil sport, so I'm happy for the team, and I'm happy that we're winning, right? I'm happy yes. that fans are excited about this team. That is not something I expected a week ago. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's strange, because like, there have been articles like this year about how like the blues play too much of a fancy game at home. Cause they're trying to entertain the crowd. And then you had that game where like the crowd was booing and all the players were coming out against it kind of thing. So it's been a strange environment this year. Yeah, it's so it's been an odd year. I, it seems like so long ago that uh, Tarasenko was telling us that we didn't understand hockey and couldn't be the goalie <laughs> and all that. Not that I'm still bitter about it, but... Still, still thanks us for our supports, so yeah. that's all that matters. Yes, he does. <laughs> He's so great in the post-game interviews, talking about two Vlads having chemistry. Um, so, yeah, with that, I guess we can start talking about uh, those games and his post-game interviews, although he didn't. He had one, and it was great. Um but the first game was against the Vancouver Canucks, which seems also like it was years ago. Uh, and the Blues handled business, I guess, against a, a less good team. A very polite way of saying a, a pretty bad team. Um, pretty bad team without their best player. That's like, I don't even know. Are they even a hockey team at this point? Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough. I can't imagine being a, a Vancouver fan right now. I know it's rough because, like, I feel bad for Vancouver, and I hated Vancouver so much, like, five or ten years ago that it's just, like, they had to go so bad for me to turn around this hard on them and actually pity them. Um, you know, the Sundeans are, like, grizzled old vets now, so. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of turns the, turns the tide on it's them a so bit. so strange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I used to hate them. And now I'm kind of like, oh, look, it's the Sedins. It's like a, a novelty thing. <laughs> so uh, They're still around. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of novelties, Patrick Bergwin scored a goal in this game. Hey. He actually scored two. Um, but the first was uh, <laughs> very strange. I wrote in the uh, show notes, Carl Gunnarsson made a play here. God rest his soul. Uh, <laughs> Petrangelo and Brodziak sort of entered the zone together, and Petrangelo got the puck pass to Bergwind who crashed hard uh, on the net and Bergwind sort of front hand and backhanded the puck and rifled it backhand over uh, the shoulder of Anders Nilsson, longtime Blues goalie, former Blue uh, as I'm sure John Kelly would call him uh, <laughs> and everyone else would look up from their smartphones like, huh, what? what? Um, honestly, that and this next goal we'll talk about uh, in the second period is about as hard and fast as I've seen Patrick Bergwin play in a long time. Um, and Brodziak made a great play here. This was, I think, a, a shorthanded goal, if I'm not mistaken. Did I write that down? I forgot to mention it, but I'm pretty sure it was. Yes, um, it was. And Brodziak, uh, according to Patrick Bergwin, this is a quote from him, Brodziak tips the puck ahead through the neutral zone. Uh, nearing the end of a 37-second shift. That was according to Jeremy Rutherford. This is from Patrick Bergman. Uh, I didn't have a lot of gas left in the tank. Let's try a third time. That part was from Brodziak himself. 
Uh, Patrick Bergwin said, really good play, real good play. I didn't even expect he was going to make that play. He gave me a breakaway, so it was a good job by him. Nice little backhanded, I didn't expect him to make that play. <laughs> kind of an insult there by Bergwin, but I'm sure that wasn't how it was meant. Like, we know Brodziak isn't a skilled <laughs> player. <but laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so great opening period. They finished with... Uh, a Corsi 4 percentage of 35.71%. Uh, so it was a good opening goal, I should say. Not a great opening period. And by the end of it, um, I know a lot of Blues fans were kind of on the edge of their seats. And, and it was not it was not a great look uh, throughout the rest of the first period. A lot of pressure on Allen um, and... Uh, a lot, just not a lot of great offensive opportunities. But the important part is that the Blues held on and uh, they were able to get it to the second period still one to nothing. And quickly thereafter, um, Kyle Brodziak assisted Patrick Berglund on his 12th goal. And I did say this one was shorthanded, so maybe this is the one that was. Uh, Brodziak just won a foot race against Derek Pouliot on the penalty kill, and he knocked it over to Bergwind, who was streaking in, and he fired it low uh, with Nilsson out of position and scored a second goal of the game. And again, he was moving pretty fast on this. Uh, Patrick Bergwind being a decent player would be very helpful to us doing well in the playoffs. Do you agree yeah, or disagree with that statement? I, I would agree. That's <laughs> the thing that like frustrates me to no end about Berglund is because he has these flashes where he's like actually a good player. Like he's actually a top six forward, and yeah. then he'll just you'll he'll go missing for like the rest of the season. So yeah, yeah. That's the, the frustrating part about him is he like probably could play to his contract, but he just doesn't. Yeah, yeah I don't think the question with Bergwind is ever really talent. Like I think we know he has the talent there. It's just is he going to use it well enough or work hard enough to utilize it? Yeah, which I think is more frustrating than if he was like not a great oh dr- dramatically <laughs> right. Like you'll take a, a Chris Thorburn working his ass off all day <laughs> over, you know. Patrick Bergwind. You can't have a team full of Chris Thorburns, but one to one, I'd rather watch Chris Thorburn play than a lazy Patrick Bergwind. You know, yeah. Um, Sam Gagne made it two to one for the uh, Canucks, assisted by both of the Sedins. Henrik Sedin, by the way, has forty three assists this year, but three goals, which I don't even like. That doesn't even compute in my head. Uh, but they did a nice little give and go. In the corner, the Sedins did. That is uh, almost as if they had some chemistry. And Rolling then, back the clock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Henrik passed across Allen, and uh, Gagne was there to hit basically an empty net, uh, which was Allen's only, uh, the only goal he allowed this game, and really nothing he could have done about this one, which is nice. I mean, it's nice for once to say, hey, Allen couldn't have saved this. Good job, other team. You know, um, that's when you know Allen's playing well is that you can't blame him for the goals. Uh, so, yeah, it went two to one into the third period, and that's where the Blues kind of turned it on and uh, put their foot on the gas or on the Canucks' throat or whatever analogy you'd like to use. Uh, Tarasenko scored his 28th of the season. Uh, on what Cristiano Simonetta described as the slowest shot in NHL history. 
Uh, Tarasenko is trying, I guess, to pass a puck backhand to Shin, uh, and he was very close to the net, but Alex Edler slashed his stick as he was doing it. Uh, and just as Tarasenko planned it, the puck dribbled under Nilsson's pad, which it looked like Nilsson actually raised his pad to let this go in. That's it what was, made this goal like so just confusing to me. Yeah. It's like he just stopped trying to save it at some point. <laughs> it was a, a very strange goal. If you if you haven't seen it, you should definitely go back and watch it. Um, yeah, it was bizarre. Um, but it did go in. Uh, Tarasenko said, I don't know what I tried to do. <laughs> maybe make pass to Shin, maybe shoot. But whatever it is, it counts, which is poetic in its own way. <laughs> so it's now three to one. Um, the assist there was from Schwartz. I don't know if I ever said that. Uh, and uh, the Blues would put on a fourth. Um, they controlled most of the third period and had like a 65% Corsi rating. Uh and Dmitry Askin, unbelievably, scored his sixth goal of the season, uh, assisted by Sabotka and Thompson. Tage Thompson getting an assist. Um, a good game, I guess, when your goals are from, you know, two from Bergwin and one from Yaskin and only one from your top guys. Uh, it's always good to get that secondary st- scoring, which we need so desperately, right? Um this was just a, a move where Pareko took a shot and it sort of plinkoed it w- its way all the way into the net. Uh, and uh, Yaskin found it last and sort of knocked it home. Um, Reed Boucher even kind of cross-checked Yaskin as he was going down, uh, but did not keep him from scoring a goal, which I think is how Yaskin should be playing as a big physical, tough game. Uh, Mike Yo said, for me, that's where Yaskin scores his goals. Yasky doesn't sound like a nickname, by the way. That sounds no, I'm not like, on board with that. <laughs> that sounds like it's harder to say than Dimitri, right? Like, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's where he's got to go. Things, they make it longer than the actual name, like Shenner. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like, worse. <laughs> exactly. I don't understand your weird etiquette, hockey. Uh, he says that's where he's got to go, and he's got to be in a hurry to get there. Um he had uh, Yaskin had 13 hits in his previous two games, and Yo also said he's been physical. He's getting involved. He's strong on pucks, but he's a guy I definitely trust in his defensive game. How difficult it is this time of year to score goals when you have a guy that has that kind of size, that frame, that strength, and he's willing to go to the front of the net. Uh, then that helps your team a lot. I, I feel like Yo's quotes often have like uh, repeated phrases in them. You know. Like the last one about the NHL ice, the NHL game, the NHL arena, the NHL player. <laughs> you know, it's just. He has a book of phrases that he just kind of pieces together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't speak English. He's just like using Google Translate. Uh, but no, yeah, I think so. that's that's the kind of goal he asks. He needs to score. That's his game. He just, yeah. If he drives the net, he's strong on the puck. It's hard to push off. So. Yeah, I agree. I think, I believe Yaskin is an RFA after this season. Uh, just going off the top of my f- admittedly feeble brain. But um, if he is, I think that's a really interesting player for the Blues. Um, you're never going to get that uh, <laughs> that top end probably of what uh, Ken Hitchcock once referred to as a, as a, a real 
Marion Hosa type, which I believe he honestly did call Dimitri Askin once. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so we're probably not getting to the Marion Hosa territory. But as Yo said, I feel like Yaskin's just a guy you can trust. And if he can learn to have a physical game, uh, I feel like you can, you know, make good use of that. Alternatively, as an RFA, I think you could get some value if you decided to trade his contract to somebody, even at the draft, maybe just get a third or a fourth round pick or something. Uh, So uh, it'll be interesting to me to see which direction they decide to go with that. Yeah, and he's kind of taken a step up this year, too, like as compared to the previous season. So it's definitely his high right now as far as his value. I agree. And I think. I think a lot of people said it was a do-or-die season for him, and for the most part, he's he's done, I guess, in, in a good sense. Uh, <laughs> that was a bad attempt at turning a phrase into another <laughs> phrase, but um, I don't know how many games he's played, but I would guess he's in the 50s or 60s, um, and I just think he's looked fine. I mean, he's looked responsible. He's played 70 games. Goodness. Oh, there you uh, go. <laughs> I did not expect that. So, yeah, I mean, he's just been there, and he's been fine. He's got 17 points. He's a plus eight, um, which plus minus is a crap statistic, as we always say, but still uh, valuable. He's got a 5.4 shooting percentage and 112 shots. So, uh yeah, I mean, he's doing fine, I think. Yeah, so. I think you kind of, like, know what you're getting out of him. You know, yeah. like a Brodziak-type player where he's not – he's never going to be, like, a top-six forward, but you you need those kind of players. Yeah, exactly. There's this myth in hockey that everyone has to be a superstar. That's very far from the truth. Um, in fact, you need guys just like Dmitry Askin and Kyle Brodziak to play – uh, valuable minutes. And speaking of Kyle Brodziak, uh, we were already planning to sing his praises a little bit. Uh, he's just been pretty incredible since the trade that sent Paul Stastny to Winnipeg. Um, he jumped from about 12 and a half minutes on the ice per game to 17 and a half almost, uh, and has had five points, uh, a goal and four assists since then. He's also won 61% of his faceoffs in that time. Um, and I just think He's a player the Blues have to be focusing on re-signing, not that I think it would be that hard to do it <clears throat> because I don't think anybody's going to come in with you know, some $3 million contract offer to be your second-line center. Um, <clears throat> but I just I think he's, he's a really valuable player to this team with the role he plays and the ability. I don't think anybody thought he'd be able to move up and just be our second-line center. And I'm not saying that's a like a good contingency plan long term, uh, but since the Stastny trade, I feel like he's done pretty well. Yeah, um, I think so. I think Joe has a lot of trust in him too, which helps. Yeah, hundred percent. He's reliable. They know each other from Minnesota as well, so they've got a lot of history. He's Mike Yo's Chris Russell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a good analogy. Um, He said about himself, all year I felt good about my game. You just try to do what's asked of you. It's a little different when you're playing on the fourth line. You try to do as much as you can, but sometimes the opportunity is a little more limited. I just felt once Stas got traded, which nobody was hoping for, except apparently me, it just (laughs) opened a door. I felt like if I was given the chance, hopefully I could make the best of it, and I've been feeling good so far. And I think he has made the best of it, Um, and good for him. Uh, 
Bergwin had two goals and Mitch made four goals in six games at that point in the season. Uh, he had 12. Uh, I can't remember if he scores one in the next two games or not off the top. Uh, Petro tied his career point high from 2013-14 with his 51st point in this game. And Tarasenko's goal was his 173rd, which put him past Red Berenson for ninth on the franchise list. Uh, which I would say... In a full career, he may get to the top of, or second top. It'll be hard to pass uh, Brett Hull. But, um, yeah, a good, a cool number of statistics there. Um, Mike Yo said, I would, kind of previewing the Blue Jackets game, said, I would say that they are the hottest, are the hottest team uh, when you're on a streak like that, they had won 10 games in a row coming into the game where we played them. They're playing extremely well right now. They're sitting there waiting for us, and we're going to be a short man to hear. And obviously the travel with the back-to-back games, but you know what? Those are fun challenges to face. Um, so with that, did you have anything more to add about the Vancouver game? before? No, we I, think we, I think we're on. I think looking ahead to the Columbus game, this is the game that I definitely wrote off as a loss, so... Hundred <laughs> percent, right? I mean, I've done that about most of these games, but yeah, you're you're looking at a team that's ten has won ten in a row, and you're traveling there on the second night of a back to back with only one goalie, right? Because Allen, yeah. you know, Hutton wasn't back at this point, so and Allen you're not going to play Huso. So right, I think Allen played two or maybe three back to backs while Hutton was out. I'm definitely expecting a loss here, Um, but that is not what we will get, as we'll discuss. Uh, Alexander Steen scored the first goal of the game really early on, three minutes in. Um, Patrick Bergwin, again, I'm not just like, this isn't the pump Patrick Bergwin's tires episode, but I like to call it how I see it. He's been good. He's been (laughs) really stepping up. To uh, what we should expect out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think he made a great uh, play here to uh, fight off a jacket behind the net and kind of uh, get up the ice. And uh, then he carried it in and battled hard. Oh, he did that at the blue line, actually. He fought off a jacket. And then he carried it in and battled hard behind the net and sort of backhanded it to Steen in front, who skated in and scored. Just a really great effort play by him to set this up and like you said he's playing the role he needs to play right now um and that's good right like we can we can be better at guys for how they played during parts of the season and still want them to succeed you know going forward yeah and and honestly if you're a blues fan out there who hates patrick bergland your best hope is for him to play really well the rest of the season so that he is hopefully has some value as a trade right so uh I say, I say, good for him. Um, the Canucks, or not the Canucks, the Blue Jackets had a goal disallowed almost immediately after this. Um, Cam Atkinson sort of got tangled up with Allen in the net uh, after a puck got in, and on review, it was it was clear that very clear that Atkinson kicked the puck in, um, and the referees overturned it. Not a lot of controversy about this one. Um, do you remember seeing that call and feeling like it was justified or yeah i think well i think Atkinson said he even knew it like he didn't even really celebrate the goal yeah, so he didn't i think react. everyone kind of knew 
probably probably one of those situations where he was trying to kick it over to his stick and it just went into the net, you know. And what it looked like it looked like his stick was tangled up, so he like couldn't get it down, and then yeah. it just kind of went in. Yeah, yeah. So no, no controversy there. We'll get to the controversy later. Um, Jake Allen made an incredible save on Marcus uh, Nutella. No, that's not how that's pronounced. Nutavara. I'm gonna go with Nutella. Um, cause that's more delicious than Marcus Nudovara at least. Um, he just almost entirely blind. Uh, Je- or, um, Jeremy Rutherford had a cool quote about it. Uh, how did Allen make that incredible glove save Saturday night? Because he knew Columbus's Marcus Nudovara was a left-handed shot. That's right. Allen stuck his mid out and snared the puck out of midair because he calculated where it was coming from. And Alan added, you just understand who's out there and where, what guys, what hands guys are. You understand there's two righties on one side of the ice and the other guy is a lefty, so you know that guy is over there with a one-time option. I saw him release it. I knew where he was shooting. I just put my glove out there, and it went in to the glove, is what he meant to say. Um, <laughs> really, really incredible save. Kind of highlights how well he's been doing this week. Um, I would say potential goal of the year or save of the year candidate but i say that every time there's a halfway decent save so who knows it has um, a couple of those couple of those uh andre vasileski like 180 backhand saves probably beat this one out but it was a great save at a crucial time for the blues um and it helped get them into the second period with a t- game still at one nothing uh when tarasenko scored his 29th of the season um and this is just one of those plays, I think, that reminds you that Vladimir Tarasenko is a superstar for a reason. Um, he just basically uh, single-handedly made a fool of Ian Cole uh, and Cam Atkinson as he sort of skated across the face of the net and deked both of them and broke all four of their ankles and then took his wrist shot and beat uh, his friend... Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky and the roof. And it's hard to describe this goal without just gushing about it because it was that beautiful, in my opinion. Maybe I'm blinded by it. But uh, what did no, you feel? I, yeah, I agree. I think like this game, the San Jose game, definitely show how much he is the best player on the ice just for either team in either of those games. So he just gets the puck and can just leave somebody in an instant. Yeah. And yeah. I As J.K. would say, Bob Roski had no <laughs> Bob Roski. He really does, though. That's like <laughs> Ian made that joke and kind of on Twitter about how it sounds like uh, he's saying Bob Ross the painter, Bob Roski. Uh, but I I saw that and then like I started listening for it and it really sounds like he's saying that. Um, but yeah, it's just like you said, uh, Tarasenko is the best player on the ice in a lot of games where he's playing. Um, and I, th- I I wonder with him, I feel like his problem can be confidence a lot or like selflessness, a little bit too much willingness to like spread the puck around when he's not supposed to. Yeah, there's um, a play in the San Jose game that we'll talk about that uh, definitely. We most <laughs> certainly will. Um, but yeah, this was just a you can't expect him to make goals like this on a regular basis, but when they when he does, they sure are beautiful. Um, Cam Atkinson then scored five minutes later uh, to make it a 2-1 game. Um, Tarasenko 
tried to backhand a puck towards Bobrovsky, and Atkinson sort of grabbed it and and was off to the races. Uh, He entered the zone and moved around uh, someone and shot it hard, and I think Allen was heavily screened here and just got beat. Um, A a great, uh, you know, to be fair to both sides, this was a great individual play by Atkinson, uh, who is a good player, not a Tarasenko-level player, but a pretty good player. Uh, And... The Blue Jackets are a really hot, good team right now, so it made it 2-1 to one and made it really competitive, uh, as this game should have been. And then the third period saw no scoring, and the Blues held on uh, and played a pretty even game. Uh, the Corsi percentage is 43.5% for those of you who care or know what that means. So um, for that period, it wasn't just like we were turtling the whole time and like, panicking you know and trying to keep them out uh, yeah, it seemed the, very even strength like it didn't seem yeah yeah it didn't seem the word that i can't think for what uneven yeah. <laughs> i guess that's the word i'm looking for my brain's not so good and if you all can hear my neighbor's dog outside congratulations i think it's dying um so there was one controversial call uh in this third period uh which was nick felino was called for a slashing penalty and was very expressive of his discontent about it uh the blue jackets had been on a four minute double minor because of a uh, patrick bergwin high stick on alexander winberg um and then uh nick felino the captain i believe of the blue jackets which always feels weird uh was called for slashing as i said and he said that's a big big moment of the game and you have to make the right call there it's bullshit the guy which was uh joel edmondson according to jeremy rutherford whacks me and then i go to block his slash and he breaks his stick what do you want me to do if anything call the slash same thing for both of us it's just it's such a chicken shit call as far as i'm concerned disappointing in a game like that they deserved a four minute penalty why are you letting them off the hook i don't get it uh so sorry to you justin if your if your ears are are pure and not used to the swearing of NHL players. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember, you know, analyzing this call much at the time, but, uh, Felino was not pleased with it. And I think, I, I think if this were a blues player, I would have the integrity to say, don't put yourself in position to have the call made against you and don't blame the call for losing a game, you know? Yeah, I think it it was a questionable call. Um, I think it seemed like was Edmondson that happened to like his stick. Yeah, was definitely a weekend. Like he must have blocked a shot with it before. And he just uh, kind of like it wasn't a malicious slash. I would say, but it definitely like broke pretty easily. So I see where he's coming from. But yeah, you, I don't know. If the I'm alternative homer, is <laughs> you can just score other goals, right? Like yeah, I always I always hate, and I I mean we all do it. I'm not like immune to it myself but i always hate the idea that like the entire course of a hockey game was altered by one bad penalty call you know it's like eh, maybe but you could also just have won the game it's so yeah it is one of those things that i don't like it's like that slashing call where if you break like if the stick breaks it's automatically slash and like mm-hmm. the delay of game call where even if you're like not trying to get a delay of game and you're just yeah nearly misses the glass it's going to be delayed again like that like those. Bo Meester shot over the far end <laughs> yeah where it's like the 
rule of the law, not the spirit of the law. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that, and I, I wholeheartedly agree that they don't trust officials enough. But then again, they have a lot of lousy officials, so I guess I guess it's a little bit of maybe necessity forcing them to do that. But regardless, uh, the Blues did hold on and win the game two to one, and which is one of their uh, more admirable efforts of the season, I think. Um, to hold off a team that's this hot in their own building with the pressure mounting. Um, the Blues got outshot 34-28, to 28, but that's pretty even. Faceoffs were 55-45 to 45 in favor of the Blues, and both teams were goalless on their power plays. The Blues had two, and the Jackets had three. Uh, so just a really even game between two pretty good teams, I think. And... Um, not two teams I would expect to rematch in the Stanley Cup Finals, but if they did, it'd be entertaining, I guess. Um, what did you think about this game as a whole and what it meant for the Blues at that point in the season? No, I think I was very surprised. Like I said, this is a game I went into expecting a loss with how hot Columbus is and how we were hot, but I think that we got a little bit lucky on that early streak with the teams we were playing. So yeah, I wasn't very confident going into it, but I think they played pretty evenly against a really good team which can't ask for any more than that nope it is hard to ask for more than that and (laughs) it was a win which is all we need at this point um let's see if there's anything more significant to say this was alan's fifth straight win uh and he's improved to seven and one in his last eights which will quickly become eight and one in his last nine um he had a two 12 goals against average and 919 save percentage in that time and he'd won two back-to-backs in that time as well which is very impressive to me um he'd won both ends of of two back-to-backs that's that's pretty cool uh he he saved 14 in the first including that one we mentioned uh and 33 of 34 overall and the jackets have been scoring 4.2 goals per game on this streak so really shut down a a really hot team uh yo said he was outstanding i mean the way that they came out a ton of confidence and they were flying the numbers of chances and the quality of chances that he made big saves on that first period i thought he was outstanding uh and then Alex Dean said, I think that the last little while, Snakey is the difference for us. Pretty plain and simple. The last little while, he's been making those big saves two, three times a game. They don't surprise me, no. He's that good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just when he's hot, when Jake Allen is on, we saw it in the playoffs last year against Minnesota, he's about as good a goaltender as there is in the league. It's just he has to have, be in the right frame of mind or – if feeling right, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, when he's there, it's it's terrific. The uh, highest of highs and lowest of lows. Yeah, exactly. It really is, 100%. Uh, the Blues were asked whether this game putting them officially back into playoff position mattered to them. Alex Dean said, nope, we've got to keep trucking, keep going. Uh, and who is this? Someone else said... Uh, who was this this must be yo i guess he said that doesn't mean anything right now to be honest i don't think it matters one bit to us it's how we finish down the stretch here we need a good rest day a lot of guys are playing a lot of minutes right now for us yeah that's mike yo for sure we need to get the legs fresh we've got a tough opponent in san 
Josie. They've taken it to us this year twice already. It's just taking it one step at a time, and we'll figure out the standings at the end. Yeah, one step at a time. That's definitely a yo quote. <laughs> 100%, right? Take from the book of phrases. <laughs> exactly. He also said, I'm very pleased and proud of the group. I know that there's an awful lot of character inside our locker room, and I love that it's on full display right now. Um, yeah, I just... It, uh, I just think it was a great win overall. Edmondson played a career-high 28 minutes with Alex Petrangelo during this game without Gunnarsson, uh, which is pretty incredible. Joel Edmondson, very valuable right now to this team. And Jordan Schmaltz only got six minutes of ice time, uh, but Mike Yo said that wasn't necessarily indicative of his future. He says, I think Schmaltzy, when he was out there, he didn't play a ton, but I thought he did a fine job for us. He looked good. He looked comfortable. Uh, that's going to be game... There's going to be games when we rely on him more than what we did, but the other five guys, I thought they were warriors. They really battled, so that group of six really did their job. Um, again, Schmaltzy, not a nickname for Schmaltz. That's an extension of Schmaltz. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long name. They're just adding a Y to the end. And I don't he, understand. I don't understand these <laughs> hockey nicknames. Where, But yeah, I think... I don't think you really need Smaltz to do more than that. Petro seems like he's handling the extra ice time very well. So if you can, if Petro can handle like close to 30 minutes of ice time every game. Then. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what he alludes to there at the end, I think if, if you're playing uh, an Arizona, like we play in a couple of days and you want to give Jordan Schmaltz 13 minutes of ice time and take Petrangelo closer to 20 or 18, you know, and just kind of, give him more rest in game than he would get and not work him as hard. That's fine. That's a wonderful time to use Schmaltz. But in these big games, the only thing is once you get to the playoffs, you need to have everybody participating. So you need to eventually gear him up to play there since I don't, since neither Gunnarsson or Bomeister are going to be back. Uh, But if you want to do that by bits and pieces, that's fine by me. Um, so did you have anything else to say about that game before we move on to the last one? No, I mean, I think, yeah, I I was very happy with it. And I think you look at Petro's play this game and the next game that he's clearly the most important player to our team. Like just by the time he's on the ice and the things he does without only being bad. (laughs) Yeah, he is. He's incredible. Absolutely. Um, We've gushed about him plenty on this podcast, and we'll do it plenty more, but he is very incredible. Uh, The Blues hosted the San Jose Sharks to finish out this week and won once again 3-2 in overtime, as we'll discuss. Uh, But as they have done a lot um, during this period and no other period in this entire season, they battled back from a deficit uh, after Evander Kane took... Uh, a shot his his 29th goal of the season assisted by Melker Carlson and Brent Burns uh, Kane sort of fought out of his own zone and got the puck to Carlson who dumped it very quickly back to him and Kane took a big shot that Allen got a piece of but couldn't stop and this is one where Allen absolutely should have made this save and didn't um, the difference between that though and you know when he was doing that back in December or January is that he didn't do that five times this game you know he just did it the once which is a, back, yeah. <laughs> a lot easier to swallow, you know, especially if he's making 30 other saves during the course of the game. Um, yeah, not a great goal. Uh, just a, a minute to talk about the really incredible acquisition the Sharks made of Evander Kane at the trade deadline. Uh, 
at the time we talked about that being almost nothing. You know, the price was almost nothing for sure. But at the time, Ian and I talked about, uh, you know, did not expecting much from it. Uh, but Evander Kane, I don't know if he's been nurtured by greasy Joe Thornton or <laughs> what, but he seems to have fit in really well there. I think he has like 10 points plus since his... I think- Kane's one of those players where you don't want to count on him to be a team leader, but on a team with San Jose, with Thornton and all the players that they have there, like you can definitely fit into that cast pretty well. Right. I mean, he obviously has, I think that's a great, a great description of him. He obviously has incredible skill or he wouldn't have hung around the league this long, right? They're not yeah, going to put right. up with like a talentless guy who's also an a-hole. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think if you, I, I think that's the allure of Pat, of not Patrick Kane, of Evander Kane, is this this concept that if you can get him to get the personal stuff right, he's gonna be a superstar, right? Yeah, and, and I would and, think on like if he was a blue, I don't think it goes as well. I think yeah, with- exactly. And so maybe in San Jose, he's found that fit. I would love it. I mean, I think it'd be great for the league if he, you know, became a. a a good citizen of the league and a star player that he can become. Uh, so I'm more or less rooting for it. Although I, you know, wish it was on somebody a little more likable than the sharks, but Hey, maybe, maybe an Eastern conference team. Yeah, maybe, perhaps maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe the New York Islanders will be the right fit for him. <laughs> um, uh, the absolutely unbelievable happened, uh, shortly thereafter, actually most of the period later, 10 minutes later, uh, Oscar Sundquist scored his first goal as a blue, his first goal in almost two years on an NHL rink, um, assisted by Pareko and Dunn. Uh, as I said on Twitter, uh, Ian being in Korea will never believe that this actually happened. (laughs) Um, Dunn held off the pressure, uh, at the blue line as he held the blue line and passed it over to Pareko. Man, just a brief moment to say Vince Dunn is so good, and I am so in love with him <laughs> in a, a very heterosexual way. But, um, man, he's going to be so good. Yeah, um, he's definitely stepped into that like Shattenkirk mold of like that offensive defenseman that can put up points that we kind of need. Yeah, uh, but I do think, to his credit, he's already a little more defensively reliable than Shattenkirk ever really was. So yeah. even better. Uh, Pareko hit Sunquist, who was not far in front of him, and Sunquist just kind of turned and fired it on net, and it got in, honestly. It's just that kind of classic example of this is why you put pucks on net. Um, yeah, it was a very ugly shot, too. And the- <laughs> It sure was. <laughs> uh, uh, but this one, you know, the fans have already been complaining, and believe me, we'll complain more about um, – players missing passing too much i think there was a a power play maybe where tarasenko was refusing to shoot um and everyone else was refusing to shoot as well which is the problem with if you want to run a power play like the capitals have in ovechkin you have to convince tarasenko to do some of the shooting that ovechkin does um but uh in any case it was nice to see sunquist just kind of fire one on net and get rewarded for it um, it was his first goal since April 2nd of 2016, yikes, <laughs> ending a 52-game NHL drought. He says, I didn't know what to do, just a relief. It's been a long time. Uh, 
And then Braden Shen said he's worked hard all year. When he wasn't in the line out there for a while, he was doing extra, putting in extra time on and off the ice, and so nice for him to get rewarded with a goal. And you could tell from the celebration it was a big relief for him. Uh, Sunquist, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what his story is. He's a nice body to have around, I guess. Uh, it's always weird to me, like, when these deals get hammered out, you know, like Reeves for a first – I wonder how the conversation went in the room around Sunquist, you know? Yeah. Like, was it a situation where Armstrong was like, no, you have to throw in Oscar Sunquist. We need Oscar Sunquist. Or was it just, uh, yeah, we need to, like, th- even out contracts, throw in, we need, I don't know, we need Oscar a body. Sunquist or whoever. We need a body, and Sunquist isn't going to play on Pittsburgh, so. Right, yeah, I, who knows what it is, but he's been, he's been fine here. I don't know. I mean, he's gotten a lot of heat. It's sort of like a, a fourth-line player. Yeah, I mean, he works hard. He's definitely he isn't slacky on the ice. He's just yeah. not skilled. He's just not very good, exactly. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, you t- I, it's good for him. I'm glad to see him score. Um, I was not glad to see Joe Pavelski score in the second period, uh, making it 2-1. to one. Um, His 20th goal of the season on the power play. Uh, Brent Burns got the assist. And how else would Joe Pavelski score uh, but with a redirect in the air, a deflection into the net because he's a living god. Um, Ian and I always joked about how when we played the Sharks in three, two years ago now, I guess. Um, yeah. He, the, the NBC analyst would talk about Joe Pavelski's deflection abilities like every chance they got. And admittedly, he scored a couple of goals on a deflection in that per- in that game, but it was just like or in that series, but it was just like nauseating how much they talked about it. And then after this goal, I saw someone on Twitter say something about it, like totally unironically, because I mean they weren't part of our inside joke about it, but it was yeah. very funny. To me. <laughs> um, he's very good at it. It's just kind of Pierre Maguire's tendency that, to overhype things. Uh, that one thing that it can key in on that's like, oh, this, he's the right. best player. Yeah. Yeah. If if he's not excited about where a player was born, he's going <laughs> to pick one specific skill. You know, like this player skates in over the blue line better than any other player in the NHL sort of thing and really just harp on it. So that's his thing with Pavelski, but it was a good goal and it made it two to one for the Sharks. Um, But our very own Vladimir Tarasenko would answer uh, Joe Pavelski's goal, uh, assisted by Shin and Petrangelo. Petro passed to Shin near the circle and Shin sort of uh, handled it around a couple of Sharks really nicely and Tarasenko got it and just sniped it. Uh, top down for his 30th goal. Uh, Tarasenko's playing on fire right now, um, as we'll see again in a few minutes. Um, but he he's really on top of his game, and when he's on top of his game, a lot of, lots of good things can happen. And, hey, we've got six games left. left. Uh, he only has to score at a 1.5 goal per game clip to get to 40 goals. So let's do I it. Mean- <laughs> Crazy things have happened. Yeah, but yeah he's just he's on his game right now. He could have had three. There's a play in the first period where he it wasn't it was like even strength, I think it was right after the first goal. He had it on the far boards and did a spin move, just totally lost his defender, like walked in on net, and then for whatever reason something possessed him to pass it blindly back towards the blue line and it just went down the other end of the ice. 
So you could have had a hat trick here, but it's the, it's the classic move. We're going to talk about it in a second. Uh, the third period was close but uneventful. The Blues controlled a lot of the play, sixty four percent of it, according to the Corsi Four statistic. Uh, but it never a goal was never scored, so the game went into overtime. Uh, three on three overtime, which I th- I think it's fair to say the Blues absolutely dominated. Um, yeah. But to your point about mindless passing there was a play here where uh tarasenko handled it well and passed to colton pareko who was wide open on the right side while well, the left side from our perspective of the zone uh and i don't know what it is about colton who has that notoriously heavy hard shot but he doesn't apparently like shooting it and instead of taking a shot from where he was with the wide open lane, he crashed the net hard and then even more inexplicably pulled up after two sharks had caught up to them and tried to tr- decided to try and force a pass across to Tarasenko. Uh, and unsurprisingly, this fails and uh, it got cleared out of the zone, which ultimately wouldn't cost us, as we'll talk about in a minute, but... Just a play, I don't know if you remember it specifically, it made me want to pull my hair out in the moment, but just a play where you, you just want to see Colton shoot. You want to see him unload that shot uh, more and more often, but especially in this scenario when, you know, if it gets into the net. Yeah, I think it hurts because Frank is going to put himself in, like, scoring positions, mm-hmm. but then, like, is hesitant to shoot for whatever reason. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but. Yeah, and it, it's that shot that distinguishes him from any other, like, whatever. I mean, like, he's a good young defenseman. I'm not trying to take that away from him, but it's the shot that makes him have the potential to be, like, a star player in this league, you know? Yeah. And you just want to see him unleash unleash it, and I don't know why he doesn't. I don't know. Honestly, I wonder if part of it was last year at the start of the year when he was doing it all the time and his sticks were breaking constantly. Um, I don't, I, I'm kind of curious if that get, got into his head a little bit, which I have no like insider information reason to believe, yeah. but it is. It seems like he's had like some accuracy issues too. So I wonder if he's just like hesitant cause he's not sure. Yeah. Could be any number of things, but the good news is it was redeemed by Vladimir Sabotka of all people, as I assume we all assumed. Yeah. Um, Sabotka lost the face-off to Pavelski, but won a battle for the puck with San Jose's Mikel Bodker behind the net. Uh, Sabotka then fended off the Sharks' Justin Braun long enough to make a behind-the-back backhand pass to Tarasenko, which I believe was from Jeremy Rutherford's article. I was quoting that. Uh, Just really an incredible blind 180 backhand pass to Tarasenko. Uh, Tarasenko very calmly said, I knew he would make that pass. (laughs) I'm not sure he heard me or no, but he's a great player. I just expect this play. I expect the plays like this from him. Obviously, the great play, easy tapping goal. Um, this really was. I mean, as much as you know, you still need Tarasenko to like put the puck in the net. This really was all about uh, Saboka's play. Yo said that's an unreal play, just a work ethic. And again, that's what we are. That's what we are, and that's what we need to be right now. We need to create through our work ethic, and that's our identity as being a hard team to play against and a team that's going to work for what they get, and that exemplifies it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you can't sing his praises enough. Tarasenko scored it, uh, but almost anybody could have except, of course, Pareko, who would have tried (laughs) to pass it back to Saboka. 
and yeah, this was the Blues' sixth win in a row, and maybe more impressively, the the last two opponents we'd played uh, were a total of eighteen and two after the two games we played against them, and we were both of the two. So <laughs> that's kind of impressive when you look at yeah. it that way. You really start to believe again after watching these two games, and this game too. Like it felt like one of those games that usually goes the other way against us, where you kind of like. The Blues have a tendency of like dominating a game and outshooting an opponent and not getting goals from it. Uh-huh. This kind of felt like it was the opposite, especially like in the early going. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think we we kept the foot on the pedal a lot of the time. Uh, we controlled a lot of the flow of the game. Uh, a little bit less than half in the first period, but 55% in the second and 63 in the third. And they don't do Corsi percentages for the overtime, but if they had, I would have guessed probably over 80. It was really intense. Was mm-hmm. Yeah, we really we just kept playing better, I think, throughout the whole course of the game uh, and were rewarded for it. Um, we outshot them 32-24. to 24. Uh, We were one for one on the power play. We had 26 hits to their 12s. Uh, it was just a great game. Kevin Kurz of The Athletic, who writes about the uh, Sharks, gave us the view from the other bench a little bit. He said, not as not as desperate, not as energized as a tough combination in late March. Uh, and uh, Joe, no, this was Logan Couture, I think, said, can't fault the effort back-to-back with travel. Two tough buildings to play in. I think they'd played in Chicago the night before, maybe. And we got three of four. Got to be satisfied. Obviously, we didn't play our best, but down the stretch, you could tell we were getting tired. Uh, yeah, and that's fair. I mean, you understand that other teams are tired, too. It's not just yeah. your team. But I don't think he's making excuses, and I think the Blues deserve the win. Um, I think it's true, too. San Jose is kind of in a comfortable spot where they're probably not going to catch – Vegas and they're pretty comfortably in that second. They're kind of in like that Winnipeg spot right now. Yeah, they're pretty safe, exactly. And and you don't want to go all out and risk injury, you know, in March when April's right around the corner. Um, the Blues are playing together for the first time in a while. Vince Dunn says we're playing pretty desperate hockey right now, and I think everyone is playing for each other. We're seeing guys step up that maybe we were a little slow at the start of the year. Uh, that maybe we're a little slow at the start of the year. By the way, I love Vince Dunn's like cojones to admit that people were being lazy to start the year uh, as a rookie. I really appreciate that. Everyone he just is seems a- like such a gamer. Like yeah. he just he's good. He's going to talk about how he's good and no one else is putting in the effort like he is. Yeah, we need that, <laughs> and we desperately need that. He says everyone is on board right now, and we can count on everyone to put in their effort. Uh, Tarasenko says the season has been a lot of ups and downs, but now we build something different in our team. We play for each other. Uh, I love to how Jeremy Rutherford does not like insert any pronouns or anything <laughs> into these sentences. He just tra- transcribes them for Tarasenko, which Bracket is great. Bracket name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and Yo says that's why we. That's what we are. We have no other choice. We're not going to win other ways, which is kind of insulting. We're not going to go out and just be fancy and win hockey games. That's not who we are right now. Obviously, Again, you have insulting. To, <laughs> obviously, you have to play to your strengths, and it's more about our defensive game. We're getting good goaltending, and it's about just how physical and hard nosed we are, both offensively and defensively, and we're doing that. Um, a little bit of an insult, as we said, but true. I mean, there you know, you traded Stastny. Uh, you yeah. got a lot of injuries. There's some truth to it. Uh, I think, yeah, if anything, it does 
kind of make us rely on Petrangelo and Dunmore, which I don't think is a bad thing with how they've been playing. I yeah. think that's kind of our strong suit. So if that's what makes us a playoff team is the Stasny Trakes. We're less forward-minded. Yeah. I think almost any team in the league would trade their top four defensemen for Petrangelo, Dunn, Edmondson, and Pareko. Yeah. Um, so especially at the age all those guys are, too, with Petrangelo being the the grizzled vet at, what, 27 or 8. So, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a, it's a good group. Uh, San Jose had come into the game averaging over three goals and 32 shots per game, but the Blues held them to two goals and 24 shots. Um, and the Blues' opponents have averaged 24.2 shots per game in the past eight games. Uh, it was another overtime win. The Blues had trailed in each of the games they'd won in overtime, uh, recently, and then Tarasenko scored his thirtieth uh, for the fourth season in the row, becoming in a row, becoming the first Blues player since Brett Hull to do that in the eighties and nineties. Uh, it's good company. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much the Mount Rushmore right there. <laughs> you <laughs> slap Pronger and McKinnis out there, and there you go. Um, Hutton is back uh, in this game. He was back on the bench. Um, he's he's had some quotes. I don't have them written down, but he's had some quotes about how willing he is to step back into that backup role, and he's a good guy, and I think he understands how things are going right now, so good for him. Um, Upshaw is ready to go, as you mentioned. Uh, Yo said, actually, he was ready to go, I think, but it's I think it's going to help him to have another practice. He's only had a couple of real practices. He's been skating, but it's a different story to get out there and have contact and timing-wise. Like I said yesterday, the guys that have been in the lineup, it was hard to find somebody to come out. Uh, Nikita Sashnikov, on the other hand, is not ready and is injured again. He said, I would say, no, he's not ready yet. He's getting looked at right now, and maybe in a couple of days I'll give you a better update, uh, Yo says. So we'll get that to you on Twitter if it ever comes out. Uh, the Blues have points in 10 of their last 12 games. Jake Allen is 6-0 and with a 197 goals against average and 920 save percentage in that time. Uh, and Vladimir Tarasenko has four goals in three games since returning from his injury. Uh, and Petrangelo now has his 52nd point. So everything is looking up for the Blues, I would say. Um which is usually about when things start coming crashing down, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take a positive <laughs> approach. Just uh, enough to get you invested again so they can crush your soul. Right. That's uh, usually uh, their MO. A hundred percent. I was really, <laughs> honestly, I was really looking forward to a playoffs without the Blues in it just to not have that moment, you know? And now I'm like just back to where... And and it's worse than like if they just kind of skated into the playoffs and like, you know, stumbled in there and... And they were playing Nashville, and I could just convince myself that it was going to be pure slaughter. Uh, then you know maybe it'd be different. But if we're going to go into the playoffs red hot and po- possibly face Vegas, uh, beating playoff teams, and yeah, yeah, it'll be very interesting. And speaking of Vegas, that's who we play tonight, uh, nine thirty our time. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, this potential preview of the playoff series. And how we do uh, against a team that right now we're slated to match in the first round of the playoffs. What do you think about our chances uh, going up against Vegas both tonight and in a bigger picture picture potentially in the playoffs? 
I think it's interesting. Obviously, it's small sample size, but we played pretty well against them the first game. That was mm-hmm. one of those games where we kind of like were the better team but didn't score. Um, yeah. So I, I think I like our chance against Vegas more than Winnipeg or Nashville if we had to play them in a playoff series. Right. And I think, you know, playoffs, this is a little bit of a cop-out, but the playoffs have a lot to do with experience. And uh, Vegas have guys, you know, James Neal, Marc-Andre Fleury, David Perron with us last year. They have guys that have playoff experience, but they haven't played there as a group. Um, and Perron, as we all know, is a playoff player. We yes, know. <laughs> 100%, as Blues fans are very familiar. Uh, yeah, but I think... It will be interesting to see. I'm ne- I'm I'm never gonna write the knights out of anything at this point because they're an expansion team with 103 points that have clinched a yeah. playoff berth with six games left in the season and will almost certainly win their division. Uh, they're an incredible story, and I'm sure there will be movies written about them. Uh, but the playoffs and the NHL are a different animal, and while I'm sure they could conquer them i'm not gonna say that they will until i've seen it and regardless uh i don't think there's a team i'd less rather face in the entire nhl in the first round than the predators so i don't care if it's the you know knights or if it's the uh whoever's you know the the (laughs) penguins i'd rather face them than the predators right now so i think you look like we don't play Nashville well at all because they play our game but better than us so it's yeah Yeah, not a good matchup they're they're frighteningly (laughs) good right now um yeah so we'll see how tonight goes uh and I think I guess we have a, a tweet of the week to get to I did come up with one uh Darren Pang I thought was just I I appreciate how willing to poke fun at himself he is uh, he was talking about the Scott Foster situation, and he said uh, he did something that I couldn't do as a 21-year-old first-year pro. He stopped the first shot he faced in the NHL at the age of 36, and then he said, hashtag, damn that Kurt Giles. And then he said, way to go, Scott Foster, holy jumping, cool moment. So good for Darren to enjoy the great moment that swept the NHL last night. Uh, unless you have anything else to add, we can get out of here, uh, but... Uh, I do want to say especially thank you for joining us and co-hosting. And uh, once again, you're the running through it podcast, right? Running through it podcast on. I can plug plug my stuff. Yeah, do it. It's been fun. I'm glad I could be on. But you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Justin. I have a lot of fun hot takes on Twitter. Um, He does. He (laughs) does. And he interacts with us, which is great. Uh, and then, yeah, the Running Through It podcast, if you're interested in running and track and field, that sort of thing. So Awesome. 100%. Go give it a listen. <laughs> it sounds great. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, I do. I have an uh, honorary tweet of the week, too. Wonderful. Um, speaking, speaking of the woos earlier, there's a JR, JR tweet where he's just like, Yo just walked away from the podium and wooed, just like deadpan. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. JR's great. That cracked me up. He was like ragging on it the whole game. And then he just, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love it. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. And I am, sh- I am sure we will talk to you in the future. And we'll talk to you on Twitter uh, all the time, which we do and enjoy. So thanks for coming on. And to you, all of you for listening, we'll talk to you soon. 
and I am done with this podcast. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, everybody. See ya.